So at this time, we will dismiss the kids off to Kid Zone. So you guys are going to have a great morning up there at Kid Zone. And while the kids are heading off, uh, just a couple of quick announcements this morning. Uh, if you are uh, new with us here at Greenbelt and we've not had a chance to meet, uh, my name is Kevin. I serve as the lead pastor here. I would love for you to come to the cafe after the service, introduce yourself to me. And uh, you will know as you kind of get to know me a little bit more, I am an introvert. Even people, they don't believe me when I say this because you're up you're in front of everybody and you're funny and you do all these things and say, like, yeah, but like, kind of like when I have to like, actually like have a conversation, it's like, uh, 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 so it helps if you break the ice. Okay. Just, just, I'm just putting it out there. If you go, huh, Pastor Kevin didn't come and say hi, come say hi. I'm very friendly, but it just helps. Let's just both will take a step closer to one another. Okay. And we'll get to meet in the cafe after the service. Also, um, we do know that there's like, um, in this post-pandemic world that we're living in, there's been a lot of shuffling. <laughs> it's been called the great shuffle among Christian leaders. And like since the last three years, like 30, 35% of people who attend this church are new to this church over the last three years. And there's a lot of shuffling going on in the body of Christ. And okay, that's fine if that's what God's doing. But our heart is to really help people find where God wants you and where God has placed you in order to be active in the ministry of what God wants to do in every single local church here in our city and around the world. So we want to make that really easy for you to learn a little bit more about us. So if you don't, haven't done so already, we have there's a church app that you can download at your app store. It's called Church Center. You can find Greenbelt in there and tons of resources. We can learn all about us. We can learn what our beliefs are, our core values, our staffing structures, and all of those things. Really, really encourage you to check that out because uh, I always love when I have conversations with people, especially people who've been coming here for years. And go, well, I didn't know we did that. Okay, it's been there for like six years, but that's okay if you didn't get a chance to watch it. But now you've had the reminder today to go and check these things out, all right? So today, we're actually starting a brand new sermon series, and this sermon series, it's funny how I do my sermon prep. Well, I think it's funny how I do my sermon prep. You might not think it's funny, but I usually try to get away for a day, you know, or whether it's just sitting in my yard or just find a quiet spot, and, and I pray about it. I read my Bible, and I just go say, God, what do you want to do with us as a church family? And then I put different ideas and different Bible passages or, or different books of the Bible, and I put it all in this Google document, and it just kind of like grows this way. And, and this series was one that was there and then moved and then was there and then moved and was there and then moved. And I wasn't too sure why this one kept moving around. I still don't know why, but now we're finally in it. So good luck. Okay, we'll see what God is going to do with this, because I want to do a sermon series for the next several weeks talking about holiness. Now, when I just say that word, holiness, what comes to mind? You don't need to shout this out. Just think about for a moment, just saying the word holiness, what do you automatically think of? Now, in a room of this size, with the diversity of the people who attend this church, I know 
there are a lot of different definitions that are being worked out right now in your brain. Some of you come from a background where when you think of holiness, you think of that as a bad thing. Because in your Christian experience, you've met some really holy people who weren't very nice to you. They were more self-righteous. And so, you def- so your definition of holiness is this self-righteousness that you've experienced. Some of you approach the topic kind of very biblically. It's like, well, I know exactly what the scriptures mean. And when the, when, when the Bible says holy, I know exactly what that is. And you look at the word holiness very academically. And that's a pretty big spectrum of these, peop- of these two different definitions. But what happens is, then we look at our life. And we can study academically what the Bible has to say about holiness But we do have to eventually look at our lives. Do our lives reflect what the Bible teaches about holiness? And what I want to do as we talk about holiness for the next several weeks, if you see on the screen here, if you see this at church online, I spelt it wrong. And those of you who, like, are really into English, I always love when people who are really into English, when they kind of come up and say, Kevin, you said that word wrong. I know. Or, Kevin, you, you said you mispronounced that word. I know. See, I was raised in a French school, so I'm, like, bilingual. And so that means I stink at both official languages here in Canada. <laughs> I haven't mastered either one of them. Okay, so I get that I kind of stumble from time to time in my grammar and my spelling and in my English and in my French. But I was very intentional about this spelling of holiness. It's because God wants you to be whole. You see, we don't believe as a church that spiritual life is one thing and your career is another. Or your education is another. Or that your emotional or your mental health is separate from your spiritual walk. Or that your physical health is different, you know, and not connected to your mental health. See, there's all of these things that we can actually study about in Scripture that talks about our wholeness. And this is what I want us to do over the next several weeks, is looking at what the Bible teaches us about our whole lives, Whether that's physically, whether that's spiritually, whether that's mentally, whether that's emotionally, whether that's in your career, whether that's in school, whether that's in your hobby groups, whether that's in your family. You should look on Monday morning at the office and behave Monday morning at the office or at school exactly the same way that you would behave talking to me in the cafe. And if those two conversations are different with an employee, a schoolmate, a teacher, than talking to your pastor in the cafe, you're not whole. There's a disconnect. So this is what I want us to talk about. See, just to break down a little bit of definitions. So the word holiness, not spelt incorrectly, but holy, H-O-L-I, or holy, N-E-S-S, holiness, 
Okay? The Bible talks a lot about being holy as his children, as his people. Right? In the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, it says, Be holy. It's a command of God to his people. Leviticus is all about the rules, all about the regulations that he's giving to people who have come out of slavery for generations. See, the people of Israel, when they were trapped in Egypt for generation upon generation upon generation, they were indoctrinated by the gods of their culture in Egypt. Sure, they still had elders and they still knew of God, but they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the Old Testament to go back to. They couldn't easily find this stuff to reference it and study it. They had to be completely built up to understand who God is. And one of the commandments is to be holy. And it's like, well, why should I? Well, because the verse continues, because I am holy. You see, the people of God have always been a reflection of God. We are a reflection of our Heavenly Father here on earth. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. Right? And this goes on again and again and again all throughout the, no, the, the Old Testament. It's in there. I think it's like nine times just in Leviticus. Also, it continues, that theme continues into your New Testament. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1. Or Peter said, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy when you come to church on Sunday morning. No, it says, so be holy in all that you do. Really? Is it really all? Is this like a mistranslation? Did like the English writers get this wrong? And it's only the parts of my life that I really want God to influence. No, it's we're called to be holy in our whole being, in everything about us. And what we've been talking about as we've gone through the book of Romans over the last three, uh, three almost four months since the beginning of January is we've been reason why I wanted to go through Romans first and get through all of this theology is because when we talk about holiness, there's two parts to it that we've seen. I'm just going to quickly summarize them before we jump into today's text. You have been made completely and totally holy, not by keeping all the rules and regulations of the Christian faith, but by simply turning from your sins and accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. When you do that, Romans chapter 8 says, you have been made right with God, and you are holy in his sight. And then you go on another journey of now letting Holy Spirit in you clean us up a little bit. So you are, you are holy, but you are being made holy. At the same time. And I get there's a tension with that. The fact that we're positionally holy with God, for some of us, just gives us a lot of freedom to not worry about how we're living. Or some of us are just trying so hard to live and please God that we never actually ever come and accept Jesus as Lord. And that's why Jesus talks about, you keep saying, you know me, but I don't know you. So 
you're made holy. But then we go on this journey together as a family to become holy. Right? And and I understand we live in a day and an age right now when we talk about wholeness. And, and I do know that there's a lot of, um, what's the word I want to use? I don't want to use mumbo jumbo. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff on the internet. Okay, there just is. And, and there's a lot of ways that we can get so distracted by pop culture, pop psychology, uh, people in their basement telling us how to live our lives and things like that. So that's why I want to make sure that when we're talking about wholeness, body, soul, spirit, church, work, school, family, relationships, all of these holy things, these holy things, this wholeness of who we are. I don't want to get this from pop psychology. I want you to see it in your Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you one today as a gift. We've got a bunch in the back of the room over there. Please take one as a gift today. I would love for you in this series to open your Bible. Look at it. Don't just take my word for it. I want you to see this in here. Okay. This is also a good time as we kick off a new series like this. I know it's getting nice out and everyone would just rather be at home. But if you're not in a life group, now would be a great time to join one that's going through this series. A lot of our life groups take the resources that we put together and they get deeper into these topics and discuss them with some friends. <laughs> on what this means for their life. And you can find a group that fits your schedule by downloading that church center app and finding a group. I really strongly encourage you to do that. So today I want to start, which is pretty foundational on the topic of holiness. I want to talk about your spiritual life. Because I can't talk about your emotional health. I can't talk about your physical health. I can't talk about your marriage. I can't talk about your work. I can't talk about your school until we're all on the same playing field of what it even means to be spiritual. And I want to do that by looking at a very familiar parable in Matthew's gospel. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13 in order for all of us to explore our spirituality. So Matthew chapter 13, very, very famous parable that Jesus tells. It's got the heading on here. It's called the parable of the sower. And I'm going to start reading in verse one, and I'm going to skip the middle part. And then we're going to kind of get to the interpretation of the parable. So let me start here in verse one. It says that same day, Jesus went out to the, uh, went out of the house and he sat by the lake. And such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And, he, and sorry, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, and still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. 
Now, let me just jump down to verse 18, where Jesus gives the explanation of what this parable means, not to the crowd, but to his closest followers here. And he goes in verse 18, says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This um, parable, for me personally, probably over the last 12 years, has been my default parable to go back to when I want to kind of check my life, when I kind of want to check my heart, when I want to check my relationships, when I want to check my leadership here at the church, when I want to just see how am I doing spiritually? This is my go-to parable to self-evaluate my spiritual life. Now, there's a lot in your Bible that you can use to evaluate your spiritual life. And so what I want us to see from this one is it really shows how important your walk with God is. And so the big idea that I want to give you right out of the gate here, I encourage you to write this down so you can talk about it in your life group. It's this, right? Good crops come from good seeds and good soil. How many of you are gardeners? Okay, we get a couple of hands. Okay, that's awesome. So this, that big idea makes sense to you. Good crops comes from good seeds and good soil. Five years ago, I started vegetable gardening. My, I was kind of going through my midlife crisis five years ago. Uh, I felt I needed a new hobby. I, I wanted to go in, uh, get into 3D printing and make a bunch of models and like paint 3D models in my basement. And my wife said, no, go play outside and start a vegetable garden instead. <laughs> and I really appreciate that she did that because I spend a lot of time in my basement. Right. And these stories of Jesus and these parables about farming and gardening i got to admit as a montrealer who's always lived in the city didn't you get it but you don't get it until you get your hands dirty in the dirt playing around with this so i've got this vegetable garden that's now in my front yard and my neighbors come by and i talk with my neighbors about it like wow this is amazing what did you do i don't know well, how did you get your tomato plant so big? I have no clue. What do you mean you have no clue? It's like I bought a pack of seeds and a big yellow bag of soil, and I put it in a box, and I put it in the dirt, and I water it. 
And sometimes it grows, and sometimes it doesn't, right? Good crop comes from good seed and good soil. So let's just define these words together for a moment. So when Jesus is talking about good crops here, so he says here at, this, at, the, at the end of this explanation of the parable in verse 23, right, this will produce a crop, Right, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is every farmer's dream. This is every gardener's dream. If you just have a little tiny garden on a balcony or your whole backyard is one big giant garden, don't you want to produce a big crop? Like gardeners, again, how many of you work in your garden and hope you get nothing? Right? Unless you just love the sunshine and you just want exercise. Or you just don't want to do the chores in the house. So you're pretending and you're faking it to your spouse. I got to work on the garden, baby. I can't vacuum. And you don't do anything. Right? No, all of us want a crop to come from this. And Jesus says, your spiritual life, if you're doing it right, not maybe produce a crop it will produce a crop could be a hundred times it could be 60 it could be 30 it's not about the number but it's that your spiritual walk is producing something right and so what is it being what's being produced in the uh, english standard version of the bible um, instead of saying crop in these verses, it says fruit. In the ESV, it's, it, it calls it fruit instead of crop, that you'll bear fruit, that you'll produce fruit. And we can actually see this theme come up a lot, right? Like in this parable, it says, right, so he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another 60, another 30. Jesus mentions fruit a lot, when talking about our spiritual life. For example, in John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus says this, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. What brings God glory as a disciple of Jesus? According to this verse. Okay, good, you're listening. Okay, it's fruit. Okay? This is to my Father's glory. How does God receive glory? By your fruit. And what does your fruit show? It continues in John 15. It says, showing yourselves to be my disciple. A disciple of Jesus will show fruit. And that fruit brings glory to God. More verses in, in John's gospel, it, it, the term of fruit is used a lot, where Jesus says, talking again to his followers, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. And not a temporary vegetable garden that you're going to grow more tomatoes than you know what to do with. And you're going to like have like bags and bags of tomatoes in your freezer and you're looking at them every time you open your freezer and you don't know what to do with. So let's just throw these out and start over again this year. No, you're going to bear fruit that will last. 
So I still haven't told you what fruit is. There's a case in here that Jesus says from the parable, your spiritual life will produce it. Jesus expects it. It brings God glory when it happens. So what is it? Well, again, all throughout your Bible, fruit is used as a metaphor for two different things. It's used as a metaphor for a successful, productive life. It's also used as a metaphor for healthy reproduction. Whether that's in your families, be fruitful and multiply. You know what that verse means? Have babies. Okay? So fruitful, have bearing fruit, can be children. But it is also converts to the faith that when more people are coming to Jesus that we are bearing fruit and fruit that will last for all eternity we also see in the Bible that when the Bible talks about fruit it talks about our godly character very famous passage in Galatians chapter 5 which a lot of us know by heart where it says the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if fruit is producing something in me, Holy Spirit is producing love and joy and peace and forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, fruit is the goal. See, this is why when I talk to people who say, hey, I'm thinking about coming to Greenbelt Church. And I would like to know if I attend your church, if I become a member of your church, what kind of meat will you give me? And I know what people mean by that. Is people want teaching that's biblical. That people want teaching that's going to like challenge your thinking. It's going to help you grow spiritually. And so I say, that's, I'm going to give you the Bible. I'm not going to give you Kevin's opinion. I'm going to give you the Bible, which I believe is meat. But here's the deal. I'll give you meat, but I expect fruit. And they look at me like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> we'll give you meat, but what's the point of me giving you meat? If it's not producing any fruit, what's the point in filling your fridge with a whole bunch of meat if you don't feed anybody with it? You're going to get a whole lot of rotted meat okay? or freezer burned meat. See, the goal is not meat, according to Jesus. The goal is fruit, fruitfulness productive lifestyle that brings God glory, right? It's this lifestyle where it's changing and transforming our character. This is why I say all the time as a pastor here, I'd rather work with people who have an amazing godly character more than competence. We can train competence. I can't train character, Character is work of the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> right? We need to see character changing. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, behavior changes. So that is why I go back to this parable all the time. And I ask myself the question, how is my crop? Am I seeing fruit? Am I seeing godly character growing in me? Am I seeing the evidence of, God, of what God is doing in my life through the lives of other people around me? And if I don't see a good crop, then I have to ask myself the other two parts of this big idea. What kind of seed am I using and what kind of soil am I using? Right? And we don't tend to talk a lot about the seed. When we look at this parable, we, lo- we usually take this parable and do a four-week series on the four different types of soil. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the four soils very, very, very quickly. But I actually want to look at the seed that Jesus talks about, right? What is this seed that Jesus mentions here? Right, because it says here, we get the definition when he explains the parable in verse 19 of what is good seed. And Jesus says in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the seed, good seed that produces a good crop is the word of the kingdom of God. See, and this Greek word here that Matthew uses is a very famous word that a lot of us who like love to study the Bible know. It's the word logos. Big, ginormous word in kind of Christian theology. Right? Traditionally, the word meant like the word or the thought or the principle or speech. In Christianity, it's used to as a title or name for Jesus Christ himself, who is the word, the Logos, who became flesh, the ultimate principality of all things, the pre-existent second part of the Trinity, right? And Jesus is always good, The word of God, the word of the kingdom of God is always good. Even though we live in a culture, in a world, or maybe even some of us have struggled personally going, yeah, that seed is bad. Because it's telling me how to live my life, telling me how I should behave. It's trying to control me trying to manipulate me, trying to take away all my fun, whatever thing we try to do with this seed. And so many people, and I've struggled with this from time to time, where I try to plant something else in my heart, apart from the word of the kingdom of God, and hoping that that will produce a good crop. Well, if I just work more hours, maybe that will produce the crop, I hope. Or if I just suck up to my boss a little bit more. (laughs) Or if I just cheat on this test. Or if I just fudge a couple of numbers on my taxes. Whatever it is. Or if I just lie to my wife so we don't have to deal with kind of the tension of something. 
See, all of us find something else to plant into our soil. And we're surprised when we don't bear a good crop. It is only good seed that can produce a good crop, right? And the Bible teaches us that the word of the kingdom of God is always good. It's always beneficial. It never comes back void. It always accomplishes God's will in his people. And yet study upon study upon study upon study are telling us that most Christians barely look at this. Not here. Praise be to God. (laughs) But in other places. And we're surprised that our lives are just not producing the crop we want. When my life is not producing the crop I want, that Christian character, that fruit that will last, 99.8% of the time, it's because I'm looking at this just for sermon prep. And I forgot, oh, I'm not a, my primary identity is not Pastor Kevin. My primary identity is Son of the Most High God. And I have a daddy who loves me, who wants to spend time with his child that Jesus died for. And am I so busy doing ministry or prepping a sermon or doing a leadership thing that I just forget to sit at the feet of my dad and read his word? And when I do that, the fruit comes back. So if you want good crop, it comes from good seed. What are you doing with the word of the kingdom of God? Do you pray on it? Do you meditate on it? Do you read it? Do you glance at it? Do you talk about it? Do you spend time in it? That's this good seed. Good crop comes from good seeds. And then finally, good crops comes from good seeds and from good soil. And Jesus explains the parable here about soil. And soil, he says, represents the heart. And when your Bible talks about your heart, the Jewish people believe that it was out of the heart that everything about you, that's where it comes. Your wholeness comes from your heart. How you're going to treat your family, how you're going to treat a colleague, how you're going to talk to a neighbor, how you're going to live your life. All of these things that we do each and every day, every moment of our every waking hour comes out of the wholeness of who you are from your heart. And so we have to look at this parable. I don't think we sit in one part of this parable for our entire Christian life. There's sometimes when the word of God, when the word of the kingdom of God is sown into my heart, and I go, yeah, that's not going to happen. I'll pass. Not anymore. That was when I was younger. 
You know, when you kind of read something and God prompts you on to live a certain way. Like, I always love the love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> it's like my neighbors. What's their names again? I know my name. But I don't remember theirs. <laughs> you know, like, and it's like, am I letting that verse kind of bother me into my heart? Or do I just kind of let Satan take that verse away? <laughs> Or are there other times in your life where you hear something from the Word of God, and as Jesus says, you understand it, and when the Bible talks about understanding something, that's biblical wisdom, and the difference between knowledge and wisdom, knowledge is when you know it, wisdom is when you do it. (laughs) I know smoking is bad, but if you keep smoking 12 packs a day, He's going to kill you. Wisdom and knowledge, two different things. Understanding, hearing the word of the kingdom, and understanding it means implementing it into our lives. And so we all go on this journey together dealing with this soil. That's your heart, right? Sometimes we hear about the kingdom. We want nothing to do with it. Sometimes, and there's, because that just shows the, the, the reality of the spiritual battle. <laughs> that even though we are holy, if you've accepted Jesus, you are holy, but you're on a journey of holiness, of becoming holy. <laughs> and you have a spiritual enemy that doesn't want you to become holy. Why? Why doesn't he want you to become holy? Remember what Jesus said about your crop and the fruit? When you bear a lot of fruit, what happens? God receives glory. Good, you're still paying attention. I know I'm jumping around a lot today, sorry. God receives glory. Satan can't affect your salvation. But Satan hates God receiving glory. Every time he can make our lives a train wreck, he dances a jig because it removes glory. (laughs) That's the goal. If he can't affect your salvation, he's going to ensure God gets no glory from how you and I are living our lives. (laughs) Right? So sometimes we hear about it, but we want nothing to do with it. That's the spiritual battle that's here. of Satan stealing this away. We have to fight against that. We have to pray against that. We have to stand up against that. Other people, they immediately hear something. You'll read your Bible. You'll hear a sermon. You'll go to life group, wherever it came from. And you'll, you'll immediately be filled with joy with it. But then eventually you will abandon it. Whether it's because of life's difficulties. Well, that's just too hard to implement. I can't do that. I can't do that. I mean, one of the ways that, and I've shared this one before, dozens and dozens of times over the years. One of the ways that God really did a work in my life in this area where there was the struggle. You heard something, but then the struggle came. was in the area of being generous financially. I mean, I'm a materialist by nature. I like stuff. And I'm greedy by nature. I like money. Anyone else like money? 
If you want to raise your hand, amen. Hallelujah. Okay. What frees you from the grip of money is learning to give money away. And when interest rates keep going up and inflation keeps going up and all of these things keep going up, it's very, very easy to say, I'm going to take my money back. (laughs) But no, I'm going to keep tithing. I'm going to keep tithing. I'm going to keep tithing. I'm going to keep, and I'm not a prosperity person that I tithe and I'm going to get a Lamborghini. I don't believe that. (laughs) But what am I doing? is I'm making sure that the words of the kingdom of God, that I don't build back into me a love of money. And it's hard. And we have to learn to do that together. That's just one example. Okay? And there are thousands of examples that play out in our lives where you will hear something about the kingdom of God and you will love it for a moment until life gets hard. And then it's going to be hard to love that thing. That's why we encourage everyone to be in life groups, to build meaningful relationships with people that are praying with you, that are walking with you, that are encouraging you in those struggles. Because we don't want this joy that you have to be temporary. Because life will hit you and there will be challenges. And when it gets hard, we don't want you to lose that joy. (laughs) So that happens. Worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth will choke the word. Jesus says in Matthew thirteen twenty two, the things you're worrying about, the lies that this culture tells us will choke the word. And Jesus says it will make it unfruitful. And I want your life to be a life that bears a huge crop. That's my greatest joy in life. It really is. When I hear how well you're doing, how well my family is doing, how well the people I love are doing in their walks with God. We can be very, very, very busy as a church. But the reason we do all of these things that we do is because we want your life. We want this church to produce a good crop. (laughs) And it starts with ensuring that you are using good seed and that you are tending to your heart (laughs) so that your heart is good soil. (laughs) So when that seed gets deposited in there, it will produce a crop. For some of you, the Bible doesn't say that it could be twice as much as what was sown. It could be 10 times, 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. doesn't matter the number. What matters is that the crop is growing. Godly character, a wholeness in your life, changes in your life and in the lives of people around you. So how are you doing in your wholeness, in your holiness? Do you take time to understand the word of the kingdom of God? When you hear it, do you learn it? Do you put it into understanding? How do you respond to trouble? 
How do you respond to difficult times? Do troubles and difficult times strengthen your faith? Or do they weaken it? And what about when persecution comes? When people don't like you because you follow Jesus? When friends at school pressure you to live a certain way? When colleagues expect... When I used to work in the computer consulting business, I would go to these meetings and they were expecting me to lie to the customer. It was a part of the, it was the business practice to lie to the customer, to just get the contract. What do you do when that happens? Do you say no and risk it? Or do you compromise and lie? That's what this parable is talking about. And everything about your holiness, everything about your wholeness as a human being created in the image and likeness of God is going to come from how you implement the parable of the sower into your life. So as we go on this journey in this series... Go back to this one. Even though we're going to talk about a lot of other topics over the next several weeks, your spiritual walk lays the foundation. And maybe for some of you here in the room or those who are joining online, maybe for you, you've never actually put your faith in Jesus. You've heard about him. You've done the church thing. You've got family members that grew up in this or whatever it is, your background. But you go, huh. I'm not too sure I did that holy part <laughs> where I actually said or took stock of the fact that I've got something in my life called sin and I've never asked God to forgive me of it. <laughs> and you can do that right where you are just by sitting where you are and say, Father, forgive me for these sins. <laughs> Forgive me for the pride, forgive me for the greed, forgive me for the lust, forgive me for the arrogance, forgive me, whatever it is for you. Father, come into my life and make me holy. <laughs> Not by anything I do, but simply because Jesus died for me and he rose from the dead. <laughs> and so I welcome that into my life. If you pray like that for the first time, come and tell me in the cafe today. Come and tell me at church online in the chat that you prayed that way. We see more and more and more people responding every week. Just got an update from one of our missionaries that someone did that yesterday with one of our missionaries that we support. We praise God every time that happens when someone is made holy. And for those of us who have done that, whether today or decades ago, we have to pray, Father. Is there anything in my life that's keeping my heart from being good soil? Is there anything in my life that's keeping me from wanting good seed to be deposited into my life? And if there is, in the name of Jesus, Father, heal me of that. Guide me in that. Bring people into my life who can pray with me and walk with me and mentor me and guide me in this area. Because, God, I want to produce a huge crop.
not for what I get from it, but because you will receive much glory. The worship team is going to come up and lead us in a couple of more songs. And while they do, I would encourage you to just take a moment to examine your heart. And even in some of the verses that we went through today, as you're singing, as you're worshiping, ask the Lord, where do you want to bring understanding? Where do you want to bring change? So that even today, I can start to see more crop in my life. So let's worship.